Welcome to the Parenting Musically podcast. Season two is supported by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Case Western Reserve University. This season, we're thinking about how encountering music in new ways can help us as families make music a meaningful and important part of our lives. How can music as a sonic experience help us and our parents to understand the world we're living in? I'm your host, Lisa Heisman-Copes. I'm a professor and researcher of music education at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. I also teach early childhood music classes and I'm mother to four children. So I engage with ideas of parenting musically from multiple viewpoints. And I'm Julia, your guest co-host for this episode. I'm in sixth grade and I love tap dancing, learning German, reading about cats and playing the viola. I helped my mom learn about our opening guest for this episode by watching their TV show and reading their book. And so she invited me to the interview. We were so excited to interview Johnny Swim, Amanda Sudano and Abner Ramirez. They are a folk duo based in Los Angeles, California. Amanda and Abner come from musical families. They began writing and performing music together in 2006. And since then they have built their careers and their family together, which includes three children. In addition to writing and performing their music, they are frequently on the road for their tours. And of course they perform their music a lot. Amanda and Abner are also well known for their cooking show In the Kitchen with Abner and Amanda and their show titled The Johnny Swim Show, which chronicled their life touring with young children along as well as life during the COVID lockdown. Amanda and Abner are the authors of the book Home Sweet Road. Amanda and Abner, thank you so much for being here today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. So much for having us. It's quite the honor. Let's have an overview of your creative work, because the more I read, the more I discover. We like to say we're rivers, not lakes. Like we, we just let things flow into us and we don't, you know, our, our, I feel like our, the core of who we are is, you know, we're musicians and we love music and we love to tour and we love community and everything else kind of swirls around that and whatever else kind of comes our way, we're happy to jump on and, and explore. And it seems like you have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. We do. For the most part. And that's, I think, a really big thing. You know, one thing that we say to our kids a lot, follow the fun. Like, what do you, what is fun for you to do? Do yeah. you love to color? Do you love to dance? And, you know, do you love to take baths? Like, I don't know. Like, what do you love to do? What is fun for you? You're following the thing that you're passionate about. You're, you'll, you'll end up at least being happy, you know? Yeah. So often, I think, especially, you know, in this modern day, our trajectories are based on what success looks like, on what, what is the quickest or most secure route to success in whatever avenue or arena you're in. And I feel like that's exhausting and not a way we would ever want to live our lives. And so our encouragement to others and our encouragement to ourselves has has that mantra, follow the fun. And of course, when you're following the fun, there's always discipline. There's things that aren't fun along the way, but at least you're doing something that's fulfilling and that you'd rather do than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you tell us about your kids? Like how old are they? Yeah, we got three kids. We have Joaquin, Luna, and Paloma in that order. Joaquin is eight. Luna is soon to be five, and Paloma is three. And they are barrels of laughs and buckets of fun. They uh, are also very, very loud. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm like African-American and Italian, and he's Cuban. So there was like, I think a very, very small chance that our household would be like quiet in any way. Right. Um, but yeah, they they definitely live up to the boisterousness of their heritage. Yeah, it's they, a wild house. Because they all, you know, like they all love music and they all love it in different ways. Like they all love 
art in different ways. You know, like we have one daughter who's so shy, but she'll just sit in her room and write songs by herself. And we could hear her just in her room, just like making up songs about whatever. And then as soon as you like give her attention and walk in and go, oh my gosh, I love the song. She's like, you know, she's like panicked. And then, you know, we have our youngest who will be like, you want to see me perform? Like, let me do a song. Watch me dance. Watch me dance. Has no fear of it at all. And then Joaquin is probably somewhere in the middle, but he's, um, my favorite thing is that he, uh, he likes to, Put records on before bed until he'll get into like one specific record and it'll be his soundtrack every night for a couple months and then he'll switch right he's got a little record player right next to his bed with a bunch of records and he'll go through and like find the records that he likes and we'll just sit on one so for a while it was sam cook for like probably six months it was sam cook the same side of the record every night that's uh-huh. what you go to sleep on now he's listening to something called zelda and chill which is like a lo-fi beats it's like a remix of the songs from the Zelda video games. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's you know I love it because he just he loves it like he can if if we're you know let's say we're coloring or something he'll run into the room and be like hold on I need to make a playlist and he'll oh. go into the room and take our little family phone that they play on and we'll make a playlist and then like put it on in the house so that everybody has like. He's our DJ. Yeah. yeah. And does he choose songs mostly that he's interested in, or does he suit it to only? Them? He chooses exclusively songs that he's interested in. Yeah, every so often he'll, <laughs> he'll throw his sisters a bone and play something that he 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 thinks is reasonable for that they'll like. But for the most part, he's like, I have better taste than everybody in this house. So Joaquin would have loved like early nineties rock music. It's fun to see what they gravitate towards. And the girls love yeah. anything that's like poppy and sings about unicorns. Uh-huh. Unicorns are great. So yeah. we were we were watching and reading about your whole family being on tour and then that was paused during COVID. Will that be starting up again soon or has that started up again for you? In the fall, we all went for, so we were on tour just for like two weeks. So they came on the first week with mm-hmm. us and, um, and it was so fun. Like, you know, every tour is different and the rooms you play are different. This one happened to be, we played the uh, festival called the Big E Festival, which is like um, almost like a, a state fair. But we literally pull up in the tour bus and they wake up and they crawl out of their bunks and it's literally a carnival. The next day we were at like a vineyard and they were running around and there was a creek and they went fishing. And oh. so, you know, they love it because every day is is a little bit different. And there's, you know, there's enough routine that they feel safe and they know the people that they're with and they trust everyone. But every day is also kind of a surprise. Yeah. Well, this podcast is all about how families use music in their everyday lives. We know you use music in a really particular way when you're up on stage, when you're on tour, in your albums. But how about when you're out of sight of the cameras and the spotlights, what does music look like in everyday life? With Joaquin, we sit in a studio and write songs together. And we have a song called Poop that gets played (laughs) a lot here in the house. And we'll produce it out and and we'll go in and he'll pick the snare sounds. Uh Like he'll get as involved as he wants to be, which is often. But we have all these. And I love it because it becomes almost like an audio photo album. Mm-hmm. Of, of memories because you hear the little voices and so they sing in all of it or talk in all of it and they pick the sounds and what they like and you know then I of course want to make it presentable so I maybe dress it up a little bit on yeah. the side and it but it's still very much their energy their direction and that's I think kind of a unique way that we use music here at home is that it becomes our hobby as it's our career it's our love it's our passion but in the family it's also a hobby it's something we love to just do together yeah all right, Jules, I think you have the next question. So what about when you guys were growing up? Like, what was music in your life when you were my age? Well, when I was, you're what, 19, 18? I'm 11. Oh, 11, sorry. <laughs> um, when I was 11, I, me and Amanda, I love, I love the dichotomy. I love the difference in 
and the way we were raised kind of that many aspects were so different but so many aspects for us were so similar i was raised by people that were passionate about music seasons of my life really have a playlist there are songs that i can relate mm. to every age even when i was 11 when i was 11 sunday morning was marked by an album called my utmost for his highest it was like a oh. playlist on cd that I had, had bbncc wine is it had like all these people and that was sunday morning that was 11 for me my goal is to carry the passion that my dad showed me when i was your yeah. age and mm-hmm. some of the skill my mom had and still has because mom could sing yeah mine was uh my parents were musicians so i grew up you know i'd come home from school i would run down to my dad's studio if he wasn't working on anything he'd let me sing and record something i you know sit and write a song with him but music was always, always, always around. And it probably brought when I was your age. I think I, before I would hear like, you know, Disney princess voices. And that's what like a good voice was. And I had, you know, my best friend was in musicals and she had this Disney princess voice. And my sisters had Disney princess voices. And my mom had this amazing voice. And I remember thinking like, man, I love music so much. I love singing so much, but like, I don't sound like that, you know? And it was probably around the time I was 11 where my dad started showing me you know, some other singer songwriter, even Bob Dylan, where it was like, you don't have to sound like a Disney princess. Like, yeah. look at the richness of his voice. Like, and he'd be showing me all these, like, listen to all these different people and all the different, like, you be you. And that was kind of the first time where I kind of dove in into that. That's really powerful to think about finding your voice. Huh? Yeah. Our theme this season on the podcast is how encountering music in new ways can help us weave music into home life. Do you have any examples of that from your own family? We sing in French a lot at home because of the the brand new encounter oh. of our children's preschool singing in French. Uh-huh. And so we'll be here at home. Big shout out to Sophie Le Petit. So we'll be sitting around the house and the girls will just start, Bonjour, bonjour, comment ça va? Uh-huh. Bien, merci, bien, merci. And it, I love it. I love, first of all, I love my kids' voices. Every one of them has a beautiful voice and like remarkably great pitch which I didn't expect from kids. We find ourselves hearing music that's presented to us by the kids where so much of their lives, all of it up until this point, really, we've introduced songs to them. And I'm sure we will continue to, but it's been a fun twist to have them introduce music to us. Sometimes during screen time, I tell them to turn the sound off if I need a break, but then start making up their own songs. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. What's funny is that so there's like a, a friend of ours who was recorded saying, I smell bacon and I want it. I smell bacon and I want it. Oh, yeah, I smell bacon. The, I want it. This is so random. It becomes the tune of everybody in the entire house. Like, I smell bacon. Like, literally, they're going to think, <laughs> like, I smell bacon and I want it. When you watched our. <laughs> actually, what I was hoping. The Magnolia Baking Competition that I'm a judge on for two episodes. So there's six episodes coming out, and two of them I'm a judge on. Uh, a dear friend of ours, Casey Korn, who's a chef and a TV show host as well, he just sings, uh, I my bacon and I want it. And it's just as long as it lasts on the TV show. We saw a clip of it yeah. uh, after it was uh, edited and, and the kids saw that and they don't remember dad judging a TV show. <laughs> they just remember, I my bacon and I want it. The other one that I'm thinking of is we have our, you know, our four-year-old has has been having nightmares. And so she'll go, oh. when I tip her in at night, she'll sit there and go, no, 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 because she wants to like force herself to not have nightmares. So I started singing um, Cotton Candy Unicorns and like made up a whole th- song about Cotton Candy Unicorns. I don't know what Cotton Candy Unicorns are, 
But mm-hmm. now we sing it before bed because then she's excited going to bed and she's like, Cotton candy unicorn. And that's all she's thinking about. She's not thinking about, you know, the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Yes, this new the new hack for getting rid of nightmares. So I read in your book about how art can help us free ourselves from mental seatbelts, as you put it. Do you have any like tips on how parents who are listening can learn how to do that? And does it like maybe have something to do with like the kids guiding you? So something like that our encouragement is to do what you love. And, you know, of course, like there's like art for commerce and, you know, we get stuck in that trap so often of like, well, you know, there's, there needs to be this type of song or there's this sound that's popular or like, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And that, that can like, you know, lock you into some sort of like, you know, paralyzed state because you feel like you need to be something or produce something. And for what we do, you know, our job is always to kind of be free of that. Our job is really to like connect with ourselves and be who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause then you don't have to live up to anything. You just, you just have to be the vessel for it, especially with our kids now, you know, wanting to encourage them in the things that they're, that they love, that they're good at and encourage them to hear their own voice and, and trust their own voice um, is, uh, you know, something that we're always fighting to do. Yeah, that's so incredibly profound to hear that. Um, so my oldest is a teenager. Julia's getting towards teenage teenagehood. I'm very, very close. Yeah. Adjacent. Uh, yes. But think, thinking about that, not trying to be something else in, in being your own person. Not being scared of like the editors and the mental seatbelts. Yeah. That's it, man. That's it. And we're trained so often in life, even from childhood, that there's only a limited amount of lanes for us to fit in especially in creativity, especially in the creative arts, in, in art for commerce. So you got to find your lane. Are you pop artist? Are you an R&B artist? Are you country artist? Are you whatever? Find your lane, fit there, because that's the only way it's going to work. But what we've come to find and what we teach our kids and what we remind ourselves of constantly is that your life is bespoke to you. Your whole journey is custom fit and custom molded. It's like a suit that nobody else in the world could could wear, like a shoe that no one's foot would fit in exactly like yours. Your journey is exactly yours. And whatever you decide not to do, whatever you're scared of, of, of producing, that you know you should. We all have these things we know we're supposed to challenge ourselves with, especially as artists. We live with that challenge daily, writing this song, saying this thing, or pursuing this feeling in me. There is no backup plan in the universe for what is yours to accomplish. There is no other person that God or the universe has lined up to do the things that you were meant to do. If you don't do it, nobody's doing it. And I love that's an incredible sense of responsibility and an incredible sense of honor that your life is yours alone. And you're the one time, you are the one, you are God's unique perspective and unique, you are the unique assignment and unique expression that will never be repeated again in history. Boom. Whoa, that? that was deep. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Thank you so much <laughs> for being here uh, again, Amanda and Abner. So um, have an amazing day. <laughs> you two have a great day, Julie. It was awesome talking to you with you, Lisa, too. Thank you you so were amazing. You guys were amazing. Thank you so much for having us. Which we can give you a big hug in person. We reached out to an internationally renowned researcher on musical parenting, Dr. Beatriz Ilari, to provide a response to our interview with Johnny Swim. 
Beatriz is Associate Professor of Music Teaching and Learning at the University of Southern California Thornton School of Music. Like Johnny Swim, she is based in the Los Angeles area. Beatriz has conducted extensive research with babies, preschoolers, and school-aged children from the U.S., Brazil, Canada, Japan, and Mexico. She also collaborates regularly with researchers from USC's Brain and Creativity Institute and Bionic Ear Lab, and with scholars across the globe. Beatrice is mother to two school-aged children. Beatrice, we're so glad you could join us today for Parenting Musical.ly. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. I'm curious about what threads of our conversation with Johnny Swim stood out to you in relation to your research on musical parenting. I think the the issue that spoke to me the most was the musical culture of the family. Mm. So we, you know, when we think about musical parenting, we often think about, you know, the influence of parents, the relationships between parents and, and, and children, um, relationship between siblings and, you know, where parents come along. But I thought it was really interesting how this family has a very clear that both mom and dad had a very clear notion that their family was special, musically speaking, and Mm -hmm. things that they were doing and how they were building that culture. And related to that, I thought it was really interesting how they could talk about the three different kids in very different ways. And they understood them musically in different ways. Yeah. So how do you think families can support their shy kids making music like Luna? That's a great question. When I was thinking about your question, I thought about the work of uh, Claudia Glushenkoff in My Place, My Music, where she talked about both the public and the private worlds, musical worlds of children, how children will have music that they they share with everybody. But there's always the song that maybe you don't want to sing in front of your mom because maybe your mom won't approve of that song. Right. You know, it starts there, Julia, like how, how do we recognize that there are these two worlds? I think that the best way is to let the kids make that invitation and not the other way around, mm-hmm. right? Not to say, okay, come compose with me. Like if I say that to my daughter, she probably won't do it. But there are days when she'll say, mom, you want to look at this? And, and that she gives me that little clue. So to be attuned that, you know, kids will give us the clues when they want us in and then they want us out and understanding that there are these two musical worlds. So I think understanding that the kids will have, you know, different relationships with different repertoire. Pay attention and see where where is a little entry point where I can come and help. But if the kid's asking, I think parents can do, you know, as much as it's possible for them musically, depending on their musical background and what they're doing. Yeah, it does seem like this idea of doors opening is really important as parents. And that's actually something Maggie Baird talked about um, way back on episode two of the podcast, watching her children and waiting for the door to open and then being there with support and resources, but not pushing um, if the child wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. Well, my next question was actually about the My Place, My Music project that you were just talking about. I was so struck by Abner and Amanda's reflections on the importance of finding their voices and being true to those voices. And it seems like a really useful guiding principle for parents in general, not even related to music. And I thought there was a point of connection there to your work with My Place, My Music. And I wondered if you could reflect on that a bit and tell us more about that project. 
Sure. So with My Place, My Music, the way it started was we had this group of early childhood researchers from ISMI, and we all wanted to do a project together. And ISMI is the International Society for Music Education. Mm-hmm. So we, we were at a conference and we thought, well, there's a lot of research with younger kids under five. We don't really talk about seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. We tend to focus more on either younger babies. Mm-hmm. And so what can we learn about their lives? And the idea was to ask kids to talk about the music they listen to, music in school, the music they like to listen, the music they didn't like to listen, and to also do what we call the musical show and tell. So the kids would actually play music for us or sing. And uh, we all wanted to find a boy and a girl. And there were, I think, 11 countries. Mm -hmm. And then what we did was we shared everything through a wiki. Because that was the technology we right. had <laughs> back in the day. And so we put everything there, videos and materials. We had some flexible guidelines. It was very qualitative. And then I think what was unique about it was that we each had access to everybody's data. So mm. we could read about different aspects. I wrote more about middle class and because these were all middle class families. So social mm. class and what was similar in Kenya, in Brazil, in the U.S., in Italy. There's so many things that were common to, to children. I think this piece of finding the voice, you know, thinking about the interview really resonates with that project because that's what we were kind of looking for. Mm -hmm. And I think what we found was many more similarities and differences with the families. I think today, one of the issues that we have is, you know, kids are getting so many influences from different places, right? From technology, from TV, from peers, from school, from communities. And so it's a lot of pressure on them. For a music teacher, it's very difficult to know where to find things. And for a parent, same thing. It's very hard to sit to know what kids are listening to and how they are, you know, relating to this repertoire. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges. And at the same time, there's this big pressure, especially the older they get with the social media stuff and, you know, TikTok and the dances. And do I mm-hmm. like, like this? Do I belong to this group? Do I not? And so I think, you know, I, I was also very moved by... Um, the interview with, with Johnny Swim with um, Abner and Amanda when they were talking about finding the voices and it's which is something they've been doing with their kids because they right. are parents. I think for parents who are listening to the podcast, I think it's important to try to make that connection and you know, mm-hmm. I think it's open the door. We don't have to be professional musicians in order to do that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think this idea that only musician families. Um, will engage with music. I sometimes hear that from friends who are like, oh, we're not musically inclined. And then I always tell them, well, you listen to something, don't you? You have some music on your phone or there's mm-hmm. there are bands that you like. So everybody is musical, right? And I think we all are, irrespective of how much train music training we have. We ran this study called Parents as Home DJs. So the first version of the study or our first uh, exploratory study was during COVID, where we wanted to see how parents were using music with their children during the lockdown. We used Instagram and we also used what we call an experience sampling platform. Basically, we would text parents every day and say, what are you listening to? Uh, What's your child's reaction? And so on. So this was the first small study that we did during COVID. And then we perfected it a little little bit. Uh We just finished a larger version of this study with a very large population of uh, U.S. and Canadian parents looking for the course of a week 
And what we did was we had playlists with different uh, levels of um, arousal. So some are, you know, live and mm-hmm. dance-like songs and some are very calming. And then we asked parents to tell us what songs they were listening to, the child's mood and level of activity before they listened to music. Mm-hmm. And then what happened after the music played on. And so the study will be coming out shortly. But if people are interested, there's an Instagram page called Parents as Home DJs, where the, the playlists are available. There are other tips for parents who want to use music with their children in the home. Oh, that's great. So the the actual playlists are all completely available to parents so yes. they can. Oh, wonderful. So it's another resource that's there. And and in that that website is run by um, Dr. Uncho. Mm-hmm is a postdoc fellow at Yale um, at the Haskins lab, and she's doing other studies on um, music and and babies. So if parents are interested, they can participate in other research studies as well. Oh, that's great. And they can participate long distance in the studies? Yes. Yes. It's all, yeah, it's all through, you know, using digital medias. That's great. So those are some great examples of how parents don't need to be highly musically trained or anything like that to incorporate music in parenting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there are lots of good tips in there and lots of, you know, um, ideas that parents can incorporate and just enjoy music with their children. Yeah. Yeah. So how do kids develop when they compose music with their parents? That is a great question. With parents, there's a very strong um, bond you know, that children already have. And I think music is another way of connecting with with families, right? So what we, you know, from the research world, we know that there's some very cool research on teenagers and preferences and looking at when they become adults, how they actually, things that they said they didn't like or that their parents were doing that was a little bit lame or, you know, they had that attitude. Well, once they become adults, they look back to that and they have not only have fond memories, but it brings them back to connects them to the family. So it, it again goes back to this cult, you know, musical culture of the family. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, one of the pieces that I think would see, I would see as the strengthening of these connections and discussing themes. And um, and I think in the in Abner and Amanda, I thought it was really cool way, where um, I think Abner was on talking about songwriting and how, you know, this is oh, the children composed. He uses audio photo album. I love that metaphor. Mm-hmm. This idea that, you know, we're doing this work together. And it's almost like a photograph that as we look back, we're reminiscing and thinking about those moments. I think that would also extend to musical memories, maybe going to a performance, singing together, singing an event, things that create those memories and that we can hang on to. And now we can record them, which is really cool. Dr. Laurie, thanks again for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It was great to be on on the podcast. Please check out our show notes to learn more about Johnny Swim's music and artistic endeavors. You can also check out a set of links related to Dr. Beatrice Elari's research. Thanks for joining us today for the Parenting Musically podcast, supported by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Case Western Reserve University. Keep making music a meaningful part of your family's life. Your family's life. <laughs> <laughs>
Only you can make music a part of your family's life. 